Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. In this podcast, I look beyond the pencils, the brushes, the sketchbooks, and the iPads to discover what it means to be an artist. Join me as I speak to other creatives about their journey, as well as reflecting on my own artwork and experiences. Episode 84, Draw Yourself Calm Using Patterns in Nature with Amy Miracle. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. I'm happy to be in your ear again. I uh, It's been a challenging few weeks for me and for those around me, so I appreciate uh, the patience in allowing me not to have a show two weeks ago, but I am so glad to be back. As many of you know, the last few weeks have been really challenging. I lost my mother-in-law. My daughter was in hospital for two weeks with uh, surgery and then some complications, but uh, she is back home, and she is doing really well. So we are very happy about that. And so what that meant is, over that period of time, I had to step away from things like my regular art practice, as well as the podcast, uh, while we just dealt with everything. There just wasn't enough time. And yes, I felt bad <laughs> with both, a lot. But, you know, when you go through this, and you've been through this a few times, you realize that, you know, you can come back to it. And it wasn't a long period of time, but I needed to focus on other things, and I did that. And I feel better having done all the things that needed to be done. And I'm back to creativity, and it's exactly where I left it. And I'm also back to the podcast. I'm just thankful for creativity, and I'm thankful for all of you, your kind words, uh, the, the gifts. Like, it's just been the support around this has been incredible. And I just want to say thank you to all of you for being patient, being supportive, and just being who you are, because um, I'm surrounded by wonderful human beings and animals. <laughs> and I appreciate all of you. And I just, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. It has meant so much. And I'm hopeful that uh, what I do in the podcast and what I do with my art is able to maybe give some of that back to you at some point in time. And so uh, I really appreciate it. It meant a lot to me. It means a lot to have you here and to have you listening. So thank you. You know, when I look back on it, I I didn't even really let go of creativity. There was a point in time when I was in the hospital every day visiting my daughter, and I was just fidgety, and I saw a whiteboard at the end of her bed, and that's where the doctor would put, you know, her name, and the medical staff would put their names and, you know, the date and things like that, but there was all this extra white board space, and I started sketching. So I drew our dog. You'll notice those in my stories. I didn't put them on my website. I'm going to kind of keep that a little bit personal, but I drew uh, our dog, and then when she moved rooms, obviously I had a new whiteboard to work from, so... I did a monarch, and I did a hummingbird, and a frog, and, uh, you know, the, the woman that was beside my daughter really appreciated that experience and seeing me do it, because I would spend about 10-15 minutes using these dry erase markers, which are impossible to draw with. It's so frustrating. I don't know if you've tried actually drawing with them, but uh, once again, they only had black, so I had to bring my own little kit. I had my dry erase drawing kit. And I brought that with some additional colors. And the thing with dry erase markers is they're great until you try and come back over yourself and that marker then becomes an eraser. And so you end up drawing and then you end up coming back and having to redo things a second. It's just, it's crazy. But I was able to pull off a few pieces and 
the woman beside my daughter really appreciated that and seeing it. And she really wanted a hummingbird, so I drew a hummingbird. And so the next day, my wife brought in a print of a hummingbird I had done to give her as a gift because she looked like she was kind of struggling a bit after having gone through a few things and just thought it was a nice thing to do. So uh, she brought in a print and she appreciated that. So, yeah, I, I kind of wish maybe the, the hospital with these whiteboards would give out like stickers or some kind of theme that you get to choose from maybe or whatever the case just to make you like there's no color right so I just I think like putting stickers on these whiteboards that people can choose from or just maybe having an artist go through every so often it was just I really enjoyed it it made the the visit more meaningful my daughter loved it and it you know cheered up her and the patient beside her and the medical staff so it was it was good, and I was glad I was able to do something more than um, be by her side, which is really all she needed. But I wanted to give a little bit more, so that was fun. So I am back to it again, and so I have been creating and I've been posting on social media. I'm getting back to some commissions. I just started uh, working and planning on my next large piece. I've not done something this large, so this is a, a canvas-based piece. I'm not going to say too much but I will share some progress shots as I get into it, but it is going to be two feet by three feet. And so that is the largest piece I've worked on. I think um, it's larger than the Inktober I did a few years ago. So, and this is much more involved obviously than the Inktober uh, drawing I did with 31 images in the same sheet. So in the time between this podcast and the previous one, we did another Etcher giveaway. So working with Etcher, we gave away some accordion sketchbooks. So these were two accordion sketchbooks one for yourself and one you can give to a friend the winner was maggie moore who goes by the handcrafting chemist and congratulations maggie on winning that i shared her first piece of work in it i uh, received two of these from etcher they sent me one in each size both with hot press and so i'm anxious to try these out i haven't figured out exactly what i'm doing yet but you can be sure <laughs> that once i get into it i'll share it with you as I explore this idea of an accordion sketchbook, so many people have seemed to have used it before, and it even came up in the interview, which you'll hear later, and I've not tried it, so I'm excited about getting into this. So thanks once again, Etcher, for supporting this podcast and creatives worldwide. Don't forget that if you want to buy something from Etcher, you can go to their website, pack up your cart of whatever interests you. They have some wonderful products and use that code MikeH, that's M-I-K-E-H, for 10% off your next order. I know a few of you have done that already and I appreciate it. And I know that you're going to love the package when you receive it. Etcher does a wonderful job in, in building these products and the packaging is incredible as well. So thank you, Etcher. And thanks everyone for being part of that giveaway. So this is that time of year when challenges come about. So I'll just be quick with this and flagging a few that I think are always interesting to do. One is the Inchi Challenge, and that is with Amy Miracle, which we'll talk about later in the interview. So that's the first time I've heard of this, but it sounds like so much fun. So I may try that one. There's obviously the SciArt September, which is fantastic. It was created by Liz Butler, and the banner is from a friend of the show and past guest, Glendon Mello, and it is a fun mix of kind of prompts with a strong connection to science and the natural world. So if you want to try something a little bit different, SciArt September is incredible. You can go to Twitter and search for that or search for the hashtag on Instagram. But Liz does a wonderful job kind of pulling this all together. 
And obviously the last one that I'll mention, and there's many more, but is Inktober. A lot of people planning for that. I'm not going to be doing Inktober this year. I just have too many other things I'm working on. But if you are thinking about Inktober, this is when you should be doing your planning. Um, you know, Inktober is great. You know, the first three, four, five, six days are fantastic. And then I get to like 10 or 12 and it's like, uh, I forgot to plan these ones. So if you're thinking about doing Inktober, now's the time to plan to do that. And I wish you success. You don't have to stress about doing them all. If you're going to do SciArt or Inchi or Inktober, just do a few. Uh, don't make it a big stressful exercise. This is really about you spending time creating, whether that's drawing or painting or digital work. It is really just about engaging you with a kind of a, a reasonable goal, a daily goal that you can achieve and whether you take a day off between them or whatever the case, it just gets you drawing and creating. So I wish you luck if you pursue any of these or any of the others that come up through the, the latter part of this year as well. So just a few updates on the art I've been doing. Obviously, I haven't done a whole lot, but it's been a month since I've done a podcast. So I've done a recent uh, couple of perpetual journal entries. I did one with grapes. We have grapes <laughs> that I planted 20 years ago. And we finally have a batch of them. We actually made some jelly, which didn't turn out great. It wasn't bad, but I think these are more like wine grapes. So it was a fun exercise, but I drew a bunch of grapes. And so that was, I've not done that before. So working with the different colors and trying to get that kind of, um, that kind of smoky, almost like a powdery look to them was really challenging, but I'm happy with how that turned out once again with uh, sketching with a micron pen and then coming in with watercolor in my etcher a4 journal and then the second one is mushrooms and i haven't posted that yet so you're the first to hear it so keep an eye out for that that'll be posted in the next day or so the others i've been working on is the uh, the frog i spent a little bit of time on that as part of a live draw with etcher that was great these etcher art gatherings are a lot of fun a bunch of artists show up it's a zoom call there's no fee and you just create. And so you can have the camera off, you could have your your microphone off, or you could turn them both on. You could have the camera focused on you. You can have the camera focused on what you're drawing. And I've been trying to hit these because I just love just sitting back and, and drawing and creating. People can see what I'm doing. And sometimes I'll comment or say this or that, but a lot of the times it's just like being in a room with other creatives and I just feel inspired. People talk about their paper and their ink and their watercolor. It's just fun. It's just one of those things I'm, I'm kind of getting into doing. So they do post this on their Instagram, but if you follow them on Facebook, you'll get notifications about these events as they, uh, as they come on. So I think there's like once, maybe twice a week, but at least once a week they do these and it's been a lot of fun. So the other one I, I worked on was the rabbit and butterfly. That was also part of a live draw. I did a rabbit in pencil using, once again, my wonderful GraphGear 1000 from Pentel Canada with a 2B lead, and that's a 0.3 millimeter size lead. And I added a butterfly because I thought, come on, <laughs> buddies and butterflies, of course they go together. And then I did a small... Uh, gorilla inspired by Zoe, who was a previous guest on here. I did a, a small baby gorilla on black paper in colored pencil. So it was kind of fun to play with colored pencil again. And then the last piece I did was a snow leopard. And I did that on an eight by 10 piece of watercolor paper from Legion. And I used gouache with a little bit of transparent watercolors. And that was just a great exercise. I love drawing on black paper. 
And I can say that, you know, that two foot by three foot piece I was talking about earlier, that's going to be on a black background. So I'm excited about that. I'm trying to push myself a little bit into other areas and uh, it's been fun. So I'm really looking forward. I love this time of year. I love fall and I'm feeling really enthusiastic about my creative side of things here. So I hope you are as well. And I hope you'll continue listening to the podcast. That's it for updates. So just a reminder that while this is an audio podcast, when we record, there is video playing. So we will talk like we're sharing images that you can't see. But please don't forget to check the show notes because links to those images that we spoke about are in the show notes. And you can always check them out and you'll get a sense of the kind of materials that we we're looking at. So appreciate you checking out the show notes. I always try and include as much as I can about what we spoke about and I hope you enjoy them. Depending on the app you use, they may be clickable. If they are not, you can always go to the website, which I'll mention at the end of the podcast. So with that, let's head into the interview. It was her new book, Draw Yourself Calm, that connected me with my guest this week. However, I dove deep into her work and was amazed at the detail and the depth of her work, literally. You see, she not only has the ability to capture patterns of nature with ink and watercolor, but when combined with her paper cutting, she makes flipping through a sketchbook a truly interactive experience. She is classically trained as an art therapist, but has since moved on to sharing her process for finding peace and purpose through social media posts, her blog, and a wide range of courses. From slow drawing to tiny inchy art pieces, larger format art, as well as single to multiple overlapping elements, we will explore all of it. To talk about her creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Amy Miracle. Hi, Amy. How are you? Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for, for coming on. You know, I, I discovered you online and I was, you know, I delved into your Instagram and I was just blown away by this, just the, the beautiful patterns and the intricate artwork that you do. And then I started looking through your website, and I realized you had a book coming out, and it was like, oh my, there's just so much here to unpack. Uh, and, you know, being someone who's inspired by nature, I could see that that's a huge influence for you. So I, this is just, I'm, I'm so excited to have you on. There's so much I want to talk about, including your new book coming out. It'll be the day after this podcast is released, it'll be available. And so I'm excited to get into that as well. But I wanted to kind of start with where you came from kind of hmm. the origin story, as I always do with all my guests, is mm -hmm. understanding when you were young as a kid, we all kind of drew and colored and that kind of thing. But would you consider yourself an artsy person at that age? Was that something that inspired you? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a very, very creative person. And I think that at different times in my life, it's had different outlets. So when I was little, I was much more of a um, hammy singing, acting kind of kid. Um, I, I definitely drew some and did some more like hands-on craftsy sort of things and loved to make bracelets. And, you know, I would draw sometimes and I could see that I had, you know, some talent at it. I wasn't the most talented and I wasn't the least, but I was really lit up by performance at that time in my life. And then by the time I got to high school and, and writing too, very much. Like I wrote a lot of poetry and wrote in journals and a lot of um, poetry though. And like songwriting that went along and so on and so forth. And then by the time I got to college, I was like, I had really wanted to do photography. And then I got very into that. And anyway, it, 
evolved. I don't know how much you want me to go from here to career <laughs> and how everything kind of connects, but like it went from there to all different sorts of visual arts and then got, you know, very much into visual art clearly. So was it visual art was something that triggered through high school into college or university or when did it was more in college. Yeah. Okay. Like up till high school, I was much more performance and like writing poetry. And then I don't know. I mean, it was like, cause I remember thinking, oh, I would love to do photography. And I remember seeing some of the kids work that they were doing and being really blown away by what other high school students were doing with photography, but it never like crossed my mind to get in the class. I, I don't know. So it's just <laughs> whatever you're focused on, I guess. And yeah, and then in, in college, I had uh, a boyfriend <laughs> who was into photography, and it was like my golden opportunity. And then I started taking classes and so on and so forth. And then, you know, once I graduated, I was living in out, just outside of DC, actually, and I lived in this town, Tacoma Park, Maryland. And it was just this like, I was in just the right place. Like I was near an amazing dance studio and I had access to like, you know, everything in Washington, DC. So I started taking pottery classes, which was another thing I was always interested in. And, you know, I was going to drum circles and this and that and the other, cause I also played guitar. Like I was doing all these things. And then at the same time I was, um, my work was as a human rights activist I was doing work around U.S. policy towards Guatemala. Okay. And was just very, it was awesome. It was amazing. It was like, whoa, mind-boggling. Um, but I found that I was really much more, I felt overwhelmed by the political change and like kind of powerless and stressed by it, but very interested in the personal change. And at the same time, I was having this personal renaissance where I was able to do all these different art outlets of all different kinds. And it was doing so much for me. And I was like, oh my God, this is like, this is, you know, this is me. Um, and I was reading The Artist's Way and reading Sark and, you know, started finding out about art therapy at the same time. So that is when I started taking like my studio art prerequisites so that I could get into uh, graduate school. The only other art class I had taken was like a photography class or two when I was in college. Interesting. So th you then move into art therapy. Is, is that, was it a kind of a clear path for you when you went to grad school that art therapy is my direction at this point? Oh, or were you yes. Still, yeah. Yes, totally. Like once I was, you know, having that experience and realizing I was like, oh, you know, I was interested in doing therapy and I loved art. I was like, doop, doop, one and two <laughs> equals <laughs> three. So, you know, so then I was very clear that I wanted to do art therapy and studied at uh, Leslie University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And that was an amazing experience, both like, well, on both sides, like on the side of like all the therapy learning, but also in, in terms of like, uh, well, I, I mention it because it's pertinent to the way that I work now as, as a teacher and as an artist, like there's a lot about when you do expressive therapy versus just art therapy, there's a lot about uh, what we call an intermodal transfer, right? So where you're taking one art form into another. So let's say you do a drawing about something and then you do reflective writing, let's say, about that piece, or you do movement or dance about that piece and it deepens your understanding 
of the piece. And then you can keep moving through those modes. You can move from visual art to movement to writing back to art. And it just continues to deepen your, your relationship with the imagination and what's emerging. And it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> That's interesting. I never really, I, I mean, I, I think maybe I want to explore kind of the art therapy component a little bit because I'm sure. not, and, and maybe the listener would be interested in well, as well as, is understanding, you know, what is art therapy? What is, what is it used for? When is it appropriate mm -hmm. for people? Yep. Um, maybe you can explain a little bit about that because I think it's, fa I mean, anything with art in it, like if I could sit down with somebody and just talk art and be able to, um, in this, this intermodal thing, um, it sounds so fascinating to me because, uh, you know, in somebody who's trying to put together a story where there's imagery, uh, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about the two intertwined, right? Oh, so cool. I'm wondering if you can explore what is art therapy and why do people seek it and who benefits from it, really? Sure. Yeah, and I'm happy to because it's not as well understood as some other forms of therapy. So lots of times when people hear the term art therapy, it's it's more thrown around in the sense that we'll say like retail therapy, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I went shopping and it made me feel better. And so lots of times people say I made art and it made me feel better, which it often can because it's amazing. So that would be therapeutic art versus art therapy, which would be with a trained art therapist in a therapy relationship, just like with any talk therapist or any other modality where there are treatment goals and, you know, mental health objectives that you're working towards together, right? So it's that kind of thing. And I do not do that at all anymore. Once I left my therapy practice, I stopped doing that completely. Um, I'm not working on people's mental health goals. And well, I would say is my work, I'd say, I guess I want to say, but <laughs> my work is incredibly informed by all of the training that I had. So for example, like now as a teacher, um, I have realized how all of us really benefit from, right, tuning into all those sensory cues that happen, like the way that the pen feels in your hand, the smell of the paints, the texture of the page underneath your hand, the rhythm of your breathing. Creating art is a highly sensory oriented experience and it gives us constant opportunities to be present to what we're doing in the moment, which is mindfulness, which is a wonderful way for us all to be more grounded and feeling better and happier and I find making much better art. So the way that I work is highly informed by that, but I am not working on people's mental health goals. I hope it helps them, but I'm not intervening in any way directly with people. I'm trying to help them use this mindful way of working as a way to deepen their connection with their art process, make it a more joyful process, a much less judgmental process, because of course that's part of mindfulness is being present without judgment, um, which is a practice, right? I'm not saying I'm never judgmental <laughs> of my art or anything else, because I certainly am. But it's it's a beautiful approach as a teacher. And so without really meaning to, everything has kind of come full circle for me. But I I I didn't plot that out. That never could have been plotted out. 
for me. Interesting. It's it's cool that you've taken kind of that clinical experience and translated that into something that is, I'm not going to say, I mean, I want to say practical, and that implies that it clinical is. isn't practical, yeah. but it is no, more... No, it's very practical. Ex- yeah, and more accessible than a, a clinical practice. So that's... Yeah. Well, and I would say, too, to be fair, I mean, art therapy and all of the hands-on approaches to therapy, which there's lots of them, are highly practical, and that's why they're so useful. But what I'm doing is, again, it's just different simply because, you know, we're not in an office. I'm not trying to address people's mental health. We're not being focused on that. We're not, you know, targeting. We're not, you know, so. I want to take a a word that you mentioned and take it a little bit of a direction here. You talked about mindfulness and that is being in that state of Mm -hmm. creating, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that is really hard because as an artist, because you're thinking about, you know, maybe not all the time. Like when I think about when I'm, when I'm drawing or creating, I, I am, I'm, I'm in that state, but I'm always, I'm judging what I'm drawing, which maybe is okay that I I need to add more here or remove more. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm building that structure up. But I think sometimes you pull yourself out of that and thinking, oh, uh, where am I going to post this? Is this going to be an Instagram piece mm. or is this going to be that? And sure, I, I that's a bit of a struggle, especially in this day and age where so much can happen in social media. You could you could have something that it, that blows up on you and all of a sudden you've got people sending you commissions and so on and so forth. So there's an opportunity for commercial success and just doing the things that we would just normally like to do. And I'm wondering... What kind of what kind of advice would you provide people who are, as they're creating, are thinking about social media in the background, thinking about the commercial aspect, and trying to be able to just focus on what you're doing and not think about that stuff? Mm. Well, I'm not sure that I'm like the <laughs> number one person to ask advice for <laughs> from this. Uh, so we're and we're not going to say we're, we're going to say this isn't clinical advice. Yeah, um, this is just no, your, your experience. <laughs> it's definitely not. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. I, I think the best thing I can start with is to say I notice that. I mean, because my work is also the way that I'm earning a living. Of course, that's present to me. Right. I'd be I I know there are some artists who say that there's work that they do that's just for them. And, you know, bravo, because that's I don't know. I don't have that separation. And that's usually a very good thing for me. But there are times where, like, I'm making something and I don't know, like, I don't get it doesn't get in the way of me creating. Maybe that's what I want to say. Like the fact that I know that, you know, I'm always looking for something that's going to help translate what I do and attract the people who like are good for the approach that I'm presenting, whether that's drawing or paper cutting or whatever. Like, obviously I always need new content to help attract people, but I guess because I'm so focused on process, I don't worry about it a lot. And I also work in a lot of layers. So there's just so much less pressure on any one piece right? I do a lot of things where I work small and I work in layers. And so I guess that's part of why I don't experience that pressure in the same way. Because it's not like if this one small piece doesn't work, it doesn't really matter because there's 10 others where I'm exploring a very similar idea in a slightly different way. Right. And it's just kind of part of my approach in general with art, which is also very much because of my training as an art therapist, right? It's, it's all a lot about process, but I really believe strongly that 
like iterating, doing a lot of the same thing. That's what drives, at least for me and a lot of my students, that's what drives the best work, the most creative work, the most satisfying experience of creating. And and there are times that I post something on social media, like right away, and I'm super psyched about it. And I'm like, this piece is amazing. And then nobody responds. And I'm like, <laughs> come on, people, this is magic. And then like a few months later, I'll look at it and I'll be like, oh yeah, no, I get it. This is not magic. <laughs> but like, there's a seed of something amazing in it. And then there's other times that I'm like, no, it just doesn't translate. I think that piece is amazing. So I don't know. That's just kind of how I think about it. Like some things fly, some things don't, but the important part is my process and continuing to iterate and drive things forward and enjoy the process. And the more I do that, the more my work improves. I think that's an important point. I've talked about it before in that embracing the process makes you a better artist. And I've struggled so many times with a piece of work and it spends way too much time in that ugly phase for mm, me. And mm. it's like, I'm I'm getting tired of this phase. I yeah. want it to get to the good part. Yeah. And as I've drawn and painted more and more, I've, I've kind of given myself over to the process and realized that I just need to spend more time. It's not junk at this point. It's just I need to spend more time with it. And if you just trust that process, you kind of move forward with that. And when I'm, when I'm reading your book, that's what I'm seeing is these are all process Mm -hmm. and but it's accessible process this is the way you spin up that creative thread in you yeah by following what you've presented here amy in your book is this opportunity to take something that is a clear process and you end up with something beautiful in the end and that's really what creating art is 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 giving yourself over to the process and being able to follow it through and then get to a point where it all comes together and sometimes we quit too soon yeah it's totally true. And I mean, a little bit too, I think, you know, I, as you're talking, I'm realizing it's partially the type of work I'm doing right now. It's the fact that it is so layered and there's lots of moving parts at times when I'm working, when I've worked, you know, in the past doing much more like larger work on canvas and all that kind of stuff or, you know, larger drawing pieces. Yeah. You've got a lot of hours in that one piece and it's scary So, I mean, partially it's the type of work that I'm doing. I don't want to sound like, I don't know, it's just so easy to just focus on the process. (laughs) But I think that the same, it it does translate. It's just, it gets harder as you get into larger pieces and you have more time invested. But I think it's the same. It's just, it gets harder as the the hours get longer. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think as you get into larger pieces, too, you can break those out. So, you know, the eye of this animal is a different mm-hmm, process than mm-hmm. than the, exactly. the tree it's sitting on with the lichen and the bark. Right? Exactly. So, yeah. So you talk about some of the work that you've done in the past. I wanted to explore kind of your creative tools, mm-hmm. some things that you've worked on, what you're working on now as a matter of your tools, your materials. Um, so what have you, what materials have you played with and what are you working on now as a matter of paint and ink and... Hmm. Do you have a preference at this point? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of the past, I've played with, what I've played with, I've played with lots of stuff, right? I mean, I used to do a lot of oil painting when I first started and, you know, more figurative drawing. But these days, I, um, I really am mostly into, you know, doing work in ink, like drawing with the micron pens that like you can see in the book. I do a lot of paper cutting also, and both of those 
tend to be all of those, you know, nature inspired patterns just translate into different ways. Um, kind of going back to what I was saying about the multimodality bit. And I also still do a fair amount of like contour drawing, especially of nature, um, but sometimes a little bit of portraiture, but mostly it's mostly what I'm just, you know, fired up about is all nature-based stuff at the moment. Someone who has experience with oil painting and other forms of painting, and now you're moving into, and that now you're regularly using, yeah. you know, micron pans or fine oh, liners. and water, with... sorry, watercolors. So yeah, this is the paint that I've, I've been trying to use. I, I've been exploring letting go of more of the plastics. I'm not anywhere near where I'd like to be, but I'm exploring it. The watercolors? Yeah, yeah. I still do occasionally use... Um, acrylics because at some point when my son was born I switched to acrylics because of the fumes and everything right away from the oils yes yeah that's I've, I've never used oil paint and part of it is I just don't have an environment where I think I can control the ventilation mm. so for me it's always been just watercolor ink and mm -hmm. uh, and uh, acrylics now so your move away from oil was do you think it was mostly because of the fumes the concerns with that? Oh, it was totally, yeah, because my son was yeah. born and then I just didn't feel comfortable using them in the house at that point, especially when he was a baby. And now you're using the micron, the fine liners, all of that, and I see you're introducing watercolors into it. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you found your groove with that? Is that... Yeah, yeah, I really like that. And I, um, I've done a few classes and watercolor to try and get a little bit, because it's, you know, it's not a, it's a very technical uh medium it's not like mm -hmm. oh yes i'm amazing you know um it really it there's a lot of work and understanding the layering and all of that so um so i'm on that journey that's awesome yeah do you feel you know you talk about layering and and you know a lot of your work is based on that and the paper cutting is probably tied into that as well Very, do you feel yeah. there's a connection with watercolor in that do you feel like there's some commonality between the two that I've not done paper cutting, so I'm yeah. I'm curious no, about yet. that as well. I mean, there could be, but I don't. I haven't seen it yet. Have you done any digital work? No, I'm okay. I so I never say never because you never know. Like maybe when I get older, I won't be able to do you know certain things with my hands or something. But so far, I'm so not attracted to <laughs> digital art. People do amazing <laughs> things with it, but. Uh, I feel like I'm on my screen too much as it is. I don't want to be on it anymore. Understood. Yeah. Do you do anything with, with, with like Procreate or anything like that? Yeah, I've, I've done a fair bit with Procreate. I, and I bought a, um, it's called a Sketchboard Pro, which is fantastic. It's like a big... I've heard good things about that. Yeah, like it's a fantastic way to kind of secure your iPad on your desk so that you have more room to kind of move your hand around instead of mm. angling and stuff. So that's really kind of transformed what I do. I don't do as much as I used to, but I still do it. I, I love Procreate. Mm. I will st always create stuff digitally. But um, for me, my my love right now is, you know, watercolor, which includes gouache and mm -hmm. graphite and ink. And so it, it's hard. It's hard to spread yourself out. Yes, you can't spread too thin. No, you can't. And if I spend an hour in Procreate... I will go back to my, my sketchbook or a canvas and I will make a mistake. And the first thing I will do is touch my canvas yeah. with two fingers to undo it. And it <laughs> bothers me <laughs> that I can rewire my brain so quickly and <laughs> be so disappointed at the same time. I, I will yeah. admit that I recently, I don't know if I had like a piece of 
I don't know what it was, but I had like, I don't know, something like in the real world. And I literally tried to use my two fingers to make your finger. And I was like, <laughs> oh, we have a problem. Houston, <laughs> we have a problem. Yeah, it's, um, I, I don't know. It'd be good if we can leverage that a little bit more because I would love it that if I can just do something for a little bit, I could do a fan- be a fantastic artist because I've done it a certain way. And just that interface interacting with procreators mm-hmm. able to teach me how to interact with the real world i feel like there's something there um <laughs> that we need to explore further because it, it doesn't it an hour honestly and i will go in and i'll make a mistake and i'll and then i and and then it's fine it, it doesn't happen a second time right but it's brain training that's an interesting thought yeah have you ever done like so i, I noticed that some of your work and you did a, a recent blog post about it are you doing all your work in studio or are you doing some out you know, by the water, in the forest, that kind of thing as well? I mean, I principally work in my studio, but I'm a big proponent of making art on the go, having a portable art kit and making it small so that you actually want to carry it. (laughs) So I, you know, I, a lot of what I practice and preach is making small art because it's non-threatening it takes less materials. It encourages you to iterate and explore the same thing many different ways. Like it fits in with what I've been talking about. And then also it's very portable. So, you know, whether I'm working on like small pieces of watercolor paper that fit in the palm of my hand, either to do a drawing of something or like, you know, create a pattern from something or explore creating a pattern from something I'm seeing, that is just it's it makes art so much more accessible in so many other moments like when i'm waiting at the doctor's office or waiting at the soccer field or you know whatever it it might be and i've even you know i've got like a small paper cutting mat and so i have it so that i can even take that and like if i could sit at a cafe or something you know as long as no one's going to bump me i can <laughs> i can do paper cutting too <laughs> So I want to explore paper cutting, but I wanted to ask you first, is there a kind of a default kit that you put together when you take, when you go out? Is there like, what's in your... Yeah. So there's, there's like a couple different versions. One would be the drawing painting version. So my painting version has a beautiful set of Daniel Smith watercolors that after using like a a fine set, the Van, I used to use like the Van Gogh travel set, um, like where it's got the flip top and everything. Um, But now I have the much nicer Daniel Smith and the difference in the quality of those colors is crazy. And same thing, it has a flip top and you can use the top as your palette and everything. And I love it because I use it whether I'm out or in a lot of the time. Like I don't even always use, unless I'm working on something very focused, I don't even always pull out my squeeze tubes. I'll just pop open my travel kit because it's just so easy. So I'll have that um, one of those brushes with the well of water in it. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll have a few different micron pens of different thicknesses and occasionally a pencil and a little paper towel that I try to use as long as I possibly can. And then, you know, either a small um, hand-bound journal or small bits of watercolor paper. And that's it. That's it. Brilliant. And it's and it fits in like a little zip pouch that's like, I don't know, five or six inches long and a few inches high. So it's very light. A second one could be if I'm going to focus on paper cutting, like I'm going away this weekend with a friend. So I will have the first one that I just described. Mm-hmm. 
And then I will also have the small cutting mat, spare blades, my knife handle, and some drawing paper. And I think that's it. And then I just have to make sure I dispose of the used blades safely. That's all. Right. And then occasionally I have had like, I don't know, like for a little while I was doing some, like you know, hand embroidery type stuff to save, you know, old clothes that need like visible mending and that kind of thing. So, you know, depending on what you're interested in, it can go different directions. But typically it's the first one I told you with all the drawing and painting. And occasionally I also bring paper cutting. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I I have something similar as the like the drawing. I was going to ask you. Yeah, it's a, it's a similar kind of idea. Mine's, a, well, mine's right beside me. The listener won't see this, but this is kind of my little. Oh, yeah. Also pretty small. Yeah, it's pretty small, but I have a lot of redundancy. Like, I, you know, I, I, I don't bring one micron pan. I bring like at least two of the same size and mm. color. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And then I, I use, um, and I'll provide a link to this as well. I don't know if you, you know our toolkit. No. So it's, it's a little, it's a tiny little palette. Oh, they're sweet. And it's super thin and these are magnetic and I just fill them with Daniel Smith colors. Oh, that's awesome. And that's the large size or the medium size. There is a smaller one that's the size of a business card. Oh, that's very cool. I had a handmade and, uh, one for a while with the Altoids tin and the bottle caps. Yeah, yeah. I've got I made I made one but I never used it because I I you know, I like I like tiny. This is the t- this is the smaller one. Oh, it's so sweet. Yeah. And it's uh, and I I'm the same way. I use the water brushes that have the water mm-hmm. in the well just because it's easy. They're easy. Um I it's you know, you can have the travel brushes which I've got and you can bring water with you and sometimes I'll do that, but I do appreciate the water brushes, I I tell people don't get frustrated with them because I find that if you let them get to like a third to a quarter full, like when they start to empty, you need to refill it because I yeah. find the water moves more quickly because yeah. I think the air gets in more easily. But it's fairly easy with a small one to be able to manage kind of the detail and all that. But I, I think just so. love the convenience. Yeah. I mean, I even use it on the plane. It's fa- It's fabulous on the plane. <laughs> true enough right yeah the microns yeah. sometimes explode on the plane in my experience oh really yeah so uh yeah that that's something to be careful of i've been really enjoying um i just recently got it because i don't think you can buy it in stores here in canada but uh they have a sepia color now the uh, sakura oh yeah so it's a sepia yeah, colored micron yeah oh it's so nice it's yeah. it's not as harsh as the black yeah. but it's it's beautiful it is really beautiful i love that color one of my favorite um so uh before this year i was doing a lot with um high flow acrylic paints for like a number of years and i have a number of classes that focus on that and one of my favorite colors that they have is a, a sapia it's beautiful it's gorgeous it's funny because people love the, you know, the reds and the purples, but I think my two favorite colors are like a sepia or even a, like a, an umber of, you know, dark umber, whatever, and Payne's gray. Mm. Like I just, I use them all the time, mm-hmm. partly because of the nature of my subjects, but yeah. it's it's not the purples and the reds that it's, it's those two. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So I want to ask you about paper cutting because it's not something I've ever explored mm. and you know, the listener may not know what it is. So maybe can you explain what paper cutting is and maybe how people can get into it? Because I'm curious. Sure. Uh, I mean, so as an art form, I believe it's quite old um, and I'm not really steeped in the history of it. 
I, I think some of the roots of it go back in Europe. You know, I see a lot of like super complex things that are like related to Christmas that are from somewhere in Northern Europe. I don't know, clearly. Um, but I suspect that it has roots in a lot of other places like in Asia and who knows. But my um, personal experience with it, well, I mean, there are people who quill with paper where you take strips and then roll it in different ways to create paper sculptures, essentially. You know, and then there are people who work with the cutouts, the, the bits that you cut out of the paper. There are people who work with like the sheet and then what's cut out of the sheet. And then there are a lot of people who do a combination of the two like me. And mine are, as with everything I do, it's not a highly planned out, regimented kind of approach. It's a very open, exploratory kind of approach, just like I do in the rest of my art. So for example, right now I'm working um, with a, a form that I guess is kind of leaf-like. And then, you know, it, some of it is born out of, I pay attention, like going back to the mindfulness piece, I pay attention to the forms that feel good to my hand to do. And then some of it is forms that I've seen in nature that I find fascinating. And, and then often it's somewhere in the mix of the two. But, you know, it's like exploring the ways that those two things come together. And so like I might like right now I'm exploring these leaf like shapes that then have kind of a repeat of the shape within the shape cut out. And then that's and yeah, and then I love to work with it in my journals, too. So like. I'm working with a journal right now that has a combination of, and this goes back to your question about the watercolor, but in a different way. So it's got a combination of like, I have some watercolor pears that I did and some eggs that I did. And those are interspersed with layers of the paintings and paper cuttings and a little bit of my slow drawings. Um, and then there'll be lots of, uh, kind of pass through pages where you've got a page with a big hole in it. And then I work with creating almost like a screen with layers of paper cut. So some of these leaves are overlapping in different ways over the hole. So you can partially see what's on the page below it. And then of course, when you turn the page, now you're partially covering the other things. So that becomes this very uh, changing and interactive art piece. And that's for me, a sweet spot. I love interactive art. I think it's so cool. And so with a book, when, you know, a book is already interactive. If you make an art book, it's already interactive because it requires the, the viewer. I don't want to even say the viewer, cause they're not just a viewer. The person who's, you know, experiencing it has to make it come to life by turning the pages but when you have mm -hmm. pop-ups and doors and flaps and envelopes and tunnels, it's completely interactive, like when you're a kid. And yes. I love that. I love all of that, you know, playfulness. And and obviously, there's a lot of layering that comes in there. And so I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's... Um, there's an artist I know, Andrew Wong. Um, I think he's based out of New York, but he does wonderful paper cutting. But he does it... He cuts the paper thin and he lays it onto a um, a canvas, and then he lights it a certain way so the shadows produce some interest. Yeah. He just does amazing work. Yeah. Um, and so when I hear paper cutting, I think about that. Out. But when you're talking about what you're 
and I'll provide a link to them in the show notes. And that's my my cue to mention the show notes. Yes. So that if you're listening yeah. to this, check out the show notes. We'll provide the links to everything that we ta- spoke about, including our tools and everything else. I found it really interesting when you were talking about that because I was flashing back to, you know, I've got two girls that are teenagers now, but I loved the books they had mm-hmm. with the pop-ups and the little doors and the little wheels that you would spin yeah. that would tell part of the story. And we don't get that as adults. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so making your own is, I, I never thought about, like when you first said cutting a hole in the in your sketchbook, and I'm thinking, I can't cut a hole in my sketchbook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now I think maybe I need to try that on a page because I, that sounds kind of fun. The idea of, of leaves and maybe, uh, you know, an animal drawing sitting be- behind that that yes. you flip open and you see the full story. Like what a cool idea. I mean, I'm just thinking about before we started, you were showing me that very precious uh, drawing of a little bunny. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I, this is not to say this is what you should do, but like, you know, yeah. my artist brain is like, oh, like the bunny could be, you know, as though it's like peeking out. Or I love when you turn to a page and you think you're seeing one thing and the the picture, the image is one thing. And then when you turn the page, you realize that one part of the image is part of something much larger and it completely transforms you know, so like the bunny eye is a part of some larger piece, but you don't realize it's a bunny eye. And then you turn the page and then suddenly it's like, oh, my God, there's this really precious, you know, beautifully detailed, you know, drawing of this bunny. And, oh, that's what I was seeing. I had no idea that's what I was seeing. And it just kind of plays with your mind in really fun ways. And now I'm thinking, so you, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> a little bit creative journey here, brainstorming, but you know, that idea that, okay, so you've got a bunny and you see it through some some paper cuts that you put over a hole, but then you flip it. And then what what does that page look like on the other side? Is it something different? I mean, that's an opportunity right. too, because then yes. that's showing the page that was on the flip side. Exactly. Right? And it so it changes each page. Like there's two versions of every page, essentially. Right. So you like multiply your ability to do something with one image. And so actually, as, as we're talking about it, like that's another way of iterating. I never thought about it like that before. That's, uh, I, I've got an accordion sketchbook coming. I may end up using this idea for that because it's it's almost like every second page could have some kind of yes. pass-through yes. element. So uh, like this is the um, page with the opening and then using the layers. And the thing that's incredible, like you were saying about the other artist who uses the paper and then lights it. Oh, and- Andrew. Andrew Wong. Oh, Andrew Wong. Yes. It paper cutting is so much about light and shadow. So mm-hmm. like you can see that part of the experience is even just in the turning and those beautiful shadows that happen. Nice. Right. So this is still in process, but, um, you know, and I'll provide a, a link to some of this stuff as well. So yeah. people can uh, take a look. It's just very fun. And then you can play with attaching some of the cutouts as well. Yeah, it It almost looks embossed. That's brilliant. It's really fun. And then like, so here's an example where you're seeing a hole in the page and a ring with cutouts and then like a a mottled green color. But then you turn the page and you realize you're actually seeing the inside of a pear which then is laid on top of a similar kind of motif of um, circular cutout. And then there's other patterns showing behind it. And I love that you've taken those little 
cut strips and laid them around the outside of the hole so it does provide that kind of it looks like it's like it's embossed like it's there's some kind of stamp that you've put on top of the page Mm -hmm. yeah and um I wanted to mention about the accordion journal because I did this beautiful collaboration with an artist, Kate Sherwood. Uh, We didn't know each other, but she had seen my art online and approached me and we decided to um, mail back and forth because she's in Maryland and I'm in Massachusetts, mail back and forth these moleskin journals and we would just kind of openly, anything goes. And so we, oh, I forgot how big this is. Lots of holes. (laughs) Um, And it was such a marriage of our styles and such a cool process. But there's a lot of like what changes as each page layers on. And we're really playing with that. So do you did you do a few pages or did you do one and send it back and then one and send it back? Like how did the collaboration? Well, work? you can see when and folks can't see it, but I'll describe it. Like right. because it's an accordion journal, and in essence, it's one long piece, two sided. Right. So you know you would do a section, right? Okay. You would do a section as felt right, and then mail it back. And we mailed it back and forth for like few years I want to say wow and and then finally in the end we both kept one and I have a whole actually have a few blog posts about it but um probably the last one is the one to and I'll link to that so people can get a sense of this I know people are probably thinking what does it look like yes it's beautiful it's it's a basically a huge accordion I just gave one away in um on on my Instagram from Etcher and uh so um somebody got two accordion sketchbooks as part oh, of this giveaway. Well, they should, so. <laughs> they should collaborate and mail it back and forth. Well, I mean, talk about That's fun mail, idea. right? That's a, uh, so many ideas now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I've got to quit my full-time job, yes, I think, I so I can do some of the stuff. <laughs> That's, um, that's brilliant. I, I really like the idea. And once again, in your accordion it's not just color it's it's holes mm-hmm. through the pages as well which provides that those windows of opportunity to yes. what's next yeah and uh i think that's brilliant oh, man i'm gonna have to i have to up my game here a little bit right. <laughs> <laughs> this leads into i think in some ways this book that you have coming out mm-hmm. uh called uh, draw yourself calm mm-hmm. and i was flipping through this and you know as someone who's inspired by nature and you know the flora the fauna all of it i was so blown away by the elements you have in here as part of these exercises because it's not just it, it's not a book about it, it, it's a book where you can take action and it's it what i think what's so brilliant about the book and we'll go into details about it is i know so many people i could give this to yeah. who are th- who have said i can't paint mm-hmm. i can't draw and but but i would love to learn mm-hmm. right and i mm-hmm. there's so many people i think about where, where i i said i now know a book for you and you know i was i was blown away by you know your, your inclusion of things like milkweed and lichen and mussels and uh, like mussels as in the um <laughs> not the ones on the your shellfish body. <laughs> <laughs> right exactly not a figurative book and uh i was just blown away by all this so can you maybe tell me how did this come about how did this draw yourself calm book 
how did it come about? It almost seems like it's a natural extension of what you've been doing, but can you explain how this started? Yeah, um, I would say yes and yes. So, um, <laughs> you know, how did the pattern making from nature exactly start? I, I'm not quite sure. I just know that I had been doing a lot of this, like fine, you know, I love mark making. And, you know, at some point I had started to purposefully, I've always been very tuned into patterns in nature, or at least for the last, I don't know how many years, long time. And at some point I started to get a little bit more purposeful about not just like, cause I would notice when I would do mark making that I tended towards making it look more natural in the sense of like, I want it to cluster in a way that natural objects would like under a microscope or birds flocking or, you know, cells or bubbles, all those sorts of things. But then at some point I, because I was noticing that I started to purposefully look at natural objects to find interesting patterns to draw. And in 2020, when we all got thrown into, um, you know, being in quarantine, I, and, and also things, you know, here in the U S were racially not at all good. I mean, they had been not good anyway, but they got very intense. And, um, I just was very aware of how privileged I was and how, blessed I was, um, in many, many ways. And, you know, I could continue to work as I was, I could continue to exist as I was, I had access to, you know, walking in the woods. And that was completely like so much of a savior for me and really helped me keep my sanity. And anyway, so I, you know, very quickly felt like, Hey, you know, I'm in this position of privilege. What can I do that I have something to offer? And I realized that, you know, I typically used to do like a free workshop of some sort online, like roughly once a month. And then like, you know, maybe in the summer I was like a little less or towards the holidays, perhaps it was a little less, but essentially, you know, about once a month. And I loved them. I've always loved doing those live experiences with people. It was energizing for others and energizing for me. And so I thought, oh, I could just show up every week and teach something. And I started out the first one or two, I did a couple of different things, but I very quickly realized like this was something that I could do every single week. And I realized over time, like if I kind of settle into a bit of a formula with it, then it won't be as much work for me and I can make it sustainable, right? I won't burn myself out on it and I can keep it going. And I didn't know how long I would do it for. But I have been doing it ever since basically March of 2020. I've been most weeks presenting a pattern. I have skip weeks when I'm away or I need, you know, I kind of plan in a break. I don't do it during December so that I have time to, you know, do all the end of year businessy kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously life gets busy for us all then. So um, I've learned to have good self-care around it, but I have persisted in, in doing it and, the community has been amazing and, you know, their interest in it has further, of course, driven my interest in it. And so it's a, it's a great positive feedback loop. And I, I find I'm not great only typing back and forth with people. I really need some of that somewhat more personal contact, at least if I'm not going to be like live teaching face-to-face, -face, I need that, you know, I'm on 
camera and I'm talking to you and you're typing back to me. And I'm, I'm pretty good at like realizing like, although I can't hear your voice, mm-hmm. right? Like we're together. Right. So anyway, so that's how the patterns were born. And then, you know, I was loving it and writing about it. And then, you know, one of the publishers saw my blog post and was like, Hey, would you like to do a book about this? And I was like, yes, I would. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And how long did it take from beginning to end? I always, I'm always curious about this book making process. Well, it's hard to say a little bit because it got stalled. I think it got a little bit stalled because of pandemic stuff because we had started working on it. I don't know, maybe that summer in 2020. And then there was a big, long pause. And then let's see, where are we? We picked it back up last summer and then finished it basically. So like six months for like the bulk of the writing. And then there was like a, maybe a, another month for the proposal part. Mm-hmm. Cause I worked with a uh, Quarto, which is a publisher that essentially creates a book and then sells it, sells the idea to another publisher. And then, so that, which is why I have two publishers. I have search press in the UK and I have um, penguin North light in the U S so. Okay. It's a it's a beautiful book. When I got this, I was like, "Wow, this is this Aww, is nice." Thank you. <laughs> it's so well done, and maybe you can kind of talk us through what's what's in here. It'll be available in the U.S. and Canada September sixth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and people could pre-order. Yep. Although this is coming out on the fifth, so <laughs> you'll have a day to pre-order it. There you go. But which I know makes a big difference in in the rankings. But I I wonder if you can talk through the book because the first thing you get into is this concept of slow drawing. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you can maybe explain that to the listener as to what slow drawing is. Yeah, it's something anyone can do. Absolutely, as long as you're able to obviously hold a writing utensil, uh, you are capable of doing slow drawing. And my, I'm just going to, I'll get into that in two seconds. I just want to back up slightly. My kind of formula for the patterns has always been, I want it to be, it's nature based and I want it to be something that is simple enough that anyone could draw it, but interesting enough that you would want to draw it many different times, many different ways and continue exploring and taking it your own direction. So with slow drawing, you know, there's slow everything now, right? Because we all need to slow down. So there's slow baking and slow knitting and slow, you know, who knows everything. You could do anything slowly. And it's really back to that concept of mindfulness and my take. So it's drawing slowly enough that you can actually tune in and pay attention through your senses as you're drawing. So it's way slower (laughs) than you would normally naturally draw. And like, in fact, the most common uh, kind of beginners, uh, I don't want to call it a roadblock, but like little stumbling point is people will say, well, mine is so messy compared to yours. And I'm not really interested in people comparing because there's so much interesting stuff that's going to come out of everyone's different way of drawing. But Mm -hmm. it is true that when people go too fast, there's just no way they're going to get the same type of line. So you could draw it fast and get a particular type of line that's really beautiful. But if you want to practice slow drawing and tuning in through the senses to, could you actually hear the pen? 
Can you feel the texture of the page on the hand that's holding the paper? Could you actually notice as the ink sinks into the page? You know, there's all of these sensory cues going on and then the things that are your, in your environment too, right? Like as you're drawing, are you hearing traffic outside? Can you hear your own breath? Can you hear the birds? Are you noticing where your body is making contact with the chair, right? So when we do slow drawing workshops and in the book, I have a little section in the beginning on slowing down, tuning into the breath, and having a little visualization so that you get yourself set. You set an intention for what you're going to do. It doesn't need to be, it's not like a religious kind of thing. It's just a, this is me showing myself that I am slowing down and I'm practicing. So I'm going to get it wrong and mess up and that's fine. But I'm practicing slowing down. So, you know, as I'm drawing, like, let's say there's a pattern here on the, I have the other cover with me, but if there's a pattern here that I'm drawing that has like a wave line, you know, I'm not going to go and draw that wave line as fast as I can side to side on the page. <laughs> I'm going to really take my time and see if as I'm drawing those things that I was saying, am I noticing my grip? What does my grip feel like? Can I invite a little more comfort into my grip? Can I actually you know, see the ink as it sinks down, you know, experimenting with pace, like how slow could I actually go without not having it move forward? Or, you know, where's that comfort point between it being like so painfully slow and maybe a little too fast such that I couldn't notice what I'm noticing in my body. And the beautiful thing is a, especially for beginners, the accuracy goes up tremendously when they slow down. Um, so let's say we're drawing like, you know, the lichen pattern has like an outline of like a circular ish lichen, like you would see on a tree or on a rock. And then it has just lines coming into kind of the very center of it. And when you're going from that outside edge to the center, you have to slow down and pay attention. So as not to cross over that outside line. And again, it's a dance between, you know, getting too focused on perfectionism, but you can dance mindfully between those two things. Like, okay, I crossed over the line. That's fine. I'm going to pay attention again next time and see if I, you know, start here or breathe differently or whatever it is. But it's, it's a much more focused on process and focused on being in the moment kind of approach than... I'm doing that because if I don't get that exactly right, then I've done it horribly because I'm hoping you're going to do 10 other little, you know, three by four cards with that same exact pattern. And you're going to warm up and find your own way and change the pattern. And, you know, you're going to add color in a way I never presented or thought about. And that's the whole idea. That's brilliant. And, and I said, you know, at the beginning of this, that, I know a bunch of people that I could give this book to, but from your perspective, who do you think this book is for? I mean, in my experience, the people who really love this approach are either people who are experienced artists who want to bring more joy back in, right? They want to stop being so judgmental and pressure filled about their art and they want to learn to create in a mindful way. And, and PS, the, the benefit of slowing down is that 
when you shut down some of that other mental noise, because you're focused on the senses and what's what you're experiencing in the moment. Uh, and you probably know this, Mike, the imagination suddenly has all this space to speak and you can hear it and you hear those ideas and those inclinations. And then you can start to incorporate some of that. Uh, so I feel like that's a big piece of why it helps people improve so quickly. And then the second type of person, I think the bigger likely bigger group is folks who really don't have a lot of experience or maybe have a bit, but again, that judgment, that inner critic is so in the way and it's hard to kind of establish an ongoing practice because, you know, you're always so busy kind of judging yourself that, you know, oh, well, that idea doesn't seem right or you're flitting from thing to thing or, you know, that's a lot of what I see with students. And I find that the slowing down helps them just with the drawing, but also to hear themselves. And it's, I mean, that's the journey I'm hoping to take people on to see their own inspiration in nature more clearly, to see what's appearing on the page in a non judgmental way that allows them to go, oh, what if this, right? It's a lot about what if questions. What if I did this? What if I did that? What if I did the other? What if I turned it upside down? What if I painted with my toes? What if I, you know? Neat. I, I think that um, when I look at your process shots, it's, it's, it's so the opposite of that meme that always goes around where, you know, this is how you draw a horse. You put a, a, an oblong shape, two triangles for ears, and here's the finished horse, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful horse, mm-hmm. realistic horse. Yours is so methodical about uh, it's just following these steps it's like it you know there's a few steps to doing a, a lichen or or the milkweed or whatever the case and i think anyone could take this on and as you say once you get through it once and maybe twice then you can just do it from memory possibly mm-hmm. and just you know do it as you say sitting in a doctor's office or you know having a coffee or whatever the case and it just liberates your mind maybe people could do it at lunch at work absolutely um because it's something you could just start and finish, uh, start and, and finish at any point and take it up again, right? Like you don't have to finish that piece at that point in time. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, for example, like the milkweed pattern, that would be one of the ones that requires a little bit more finesse, I guess, right? Because it's mm-hmm. milkweed is so light and airy and getting your lines to be light and airy is partially a function of the pen tip that you choose being smaller, but it's also learning to, you know, and I love it with slow drawing because it is about a really light, soft, gentle touch. And it takes exploration. You have to sit down and just explore the line, forget the milkweed, Mm. explore the line and see what happens when you hold it like this. And what happens if you have this kind of pressure and what happens if you do a longer line or a more curved line. And that's how you find your way. And I feel like often people have this impression that like you either know how to draw or you don't know how to draw. You're either talented at art or you're not talented at art. And like, because we see things in museums and we don't see a whole lot of process, I think people forget that it's art work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it does require work, but it's really fun work. Yeah. I mean, you're really only looking at the last 10 minutes of anything. Um, yeah. But it, but it could have taken 100 or 200 hours. Yeah. Through, right. So, yeah. Now, the question I, that some people may have is, you know, there may be listeners who like the podcast, but just haven't created anything. 
and they may not have the tools. Mm. And you talk about this in the book, but I wonder if you can just, for the people thinking, oh, we have to buy a bunch of stuff. And people don't mind buying art supplies. Yes. Like, I think that's part of being an artist yeah. is being a good art, art collector as a matter of the supplies. But can you highlight maybe what you would need to start off with your book? Sure. I mean, you could certainly start without anything special at all, just to kind of get your feet wet and see how you feel about it, right? I mean, you could have a pencil and or like a just a regular pen from your drawer and a post-it note. Will it work, you know, exactly the same as what I'm presenting? No, like, you know, post-it notes can be a lot more slippery on the surface. And so it might be a little frustrating or whatever. If you're going to do that, I guess use a pencil. But, um, <laughs> but the point is you could start with anything. Uh, what I recommend for uh, kind of the easiest, best result. I use watercolor paper, just like a student grade watercolor paper. Um, and then I use a waterproof pen. And the reason for that is simply, well, it's two things. One, I don't want it to smudge so easily when my hand touches the ink after it's dried. And, it, you know, hopefully it won't smudge. Typically it doesn't. And also, if I want to add color with watercolor, then I can do that without it bleeding all over the place. And then actually three. Third, uh, <laughs> unlike like a Sharpie, there's no pooling. I can pause and the line stays exactly where it is like a pencil would instead of starting to create a dot that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. So I draw with a fountain pen sometimes. And so that would be a challenge mm -hmm. is being mindful of when your tip is touching the paper. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, and I loved the, the slow drawing, the slow walking. I had um, another artist on from the UK, and he talked about the idea of slow walking into a room. Oh, I'm going to have to listen to that. <laughs> and I really liked that idea. I think that, uh, you know, we've got some woods around us, and, you know, I'm out there, and I'm building trails and cutting stuff down, and I find myself moving too quickly too often. Mm. And I do kind of try and keep myself in check and think, okay, this time I'm going to walk to the edge of the woods normally, and then I'm going to slow down yeah, and maybe count to five between each step. Mm. And uh, I, I do appreciate kind of, and this goes back to your point about slow is, you know, slow drawing, slow walking, that there is, our, our focus tends to be liberated on the things around us rather than the destination. Mm -hmm. and I really love that. You mentioned that at right at the beginning of the book, because it really puts a good spin on to into what you're going to be doing next. And I, I just wanted to mention that I really liked not just the slow drawing, but the idea of the slow walk and, and all of that. I think that's just brilliant. Oh, thank like you. More people have to embrace that. Well, I mean, that's really where, like I was saying in 2020, when I had, like everybody was desperate for an escape, I was very lucky in that I had some woods very close by. And it was it's a very tiny area. It's literally on the side of the highway. So it's not like quiet and tranquil in that regard. But if you just focus, I find if I just focus on what I'm seeing and the birds that I can also hear, then it is a very amazing experience. And it's also accessible to me, so which means I do it more. And so when I, you know, I developed a real practice of walking in the woods in a very slow, like, okay, woods, I'm here. I'm help. <laughs> I need, I need to plug into mother earth because, um, life is really intense for us all right now. And so it just, I just naturally at this point, it's such a practice, like with the slow drawing, when I pick up my pen and start to draw, I find it's created a habit in my muscles and in my body to just slow way down. It's the same when I walk into the woods by myself. 
and I slow way down and I'm highly attuned to what I'm hearing and, you know, looking at patterns and nature. I had a wonderful experience speaking of your bunny, um, where I was walking very, very slowly, maybe not five step, five count between each step, but very slowly. And there was a bunny a little bit down the trail and, I don't know. I kind of feel like when I walk into the woods now, there's like this mutual recognition and welcoming. And, you know, that's a however you conceive of that kind of thing. I think there's just a a beautiful connection that we make back to the natural world that uh, is dismissing for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And it's just very human. Right. I mean, it's not that long in history that we're in these boxes that we live in. Right. And I think even if you're living in a city, in a suburban environment, there's always opportunity for this. You walk along a sidewalk and there's a little piece of grass or there's a little bit of dirt between the Mm -hmm. sidewalk and the building and plants find a way to live there. Mm -hmm. Lichens and mosses are very present in the city. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's always there. It's... I always feel like, especially in a city, it, it feels like nature is just sitting back thinking, okay, humans... Yeah, I'm ready to take this back when you're done with it. Yeah. And you know that if it's left unattended, nature will seed. We'll take it we'll, back over. We'll crack the concrete mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll take it over. And being able to walk down a street and just keeping an eye for this. And, and obviously keeping your eye up so you don't get hit by a, a, a cyclist or a skateboarder or someone walking. Right. But there's an opportunity to walk slowly in the city too and uh, appreciate the nature around us because it's it is everywhere and i think in some ways it's more prevalent in the city because it stands out much more if you're looking Mm -hmm, for it mm -hmm. than it would be uh in a forest for example where there's much more room for it to expand and grow and yeah yeah i mean i think one of the most satisfying things for me besides people who, who do the slow drawing workshops uh in addition to them talking about how much it's freed up their own art process and how it helps them to realize that they really can draw and create and are creative is how many people have said, I see now patterns everywhere outside. I see lichens. I never used to, my kids are tired of me pointing them out now, (laughs) you know, and, and they're really seeing with different eyes. And that is very exciting to me because that really extends. And that's my experience. The more that I practice slow drawing and painting and art in general, the more that that mindful experience and presence trickles into other places in my life. Now, there are parts of my life that I wish it would trickle much harder. <laughs> and I'm still <laughs> working on it. <laughs> but um, but it's it's a practice, like everything. Is there, and, and I, I when I saw the lichens, I was like, so this is me. But every time I see lichens, I always think of tardigrades or water bears which are these wonderful little Mm -hmm. creatures. And we had, my my daughter and I collected some lichen um, in the winter, and then we put it into a container with water. We let it sit for, I think, three or four days and put it onto a microscope, and we were able to see these tiny little water bears get reactivated and wake up. Wait, there were water bears in the lichen or in the moss? Yes, in the lichen. In the lichen. So we peeled some lichen off a tree. Oh, I thought they only lived in moss. That's great. Yeah, so it's if you're drawing the lichen and you want even a, a more powerful experience, and you happen to have the opportunity to use a microscope, yeah. then just put it in some water for a few days and then extract a little bit, and you'll see them start to wake up. Oh, that's, that's very cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I read um, Robin Wall Kimmerer's first book. Uh, it was Moss, something Moss. 
It's all about moss. What is it? It is gathering moss. And she talks a lot about water bears. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll provide yeah. a link to that. Yes, that please. sounds like a great She's book. She's <laughs> amazing. And if you're interested in getting more in touch with our connections to nature, she is a um, Native American biologist and expert in the field on mosses, I believe. Um, I forget the technical term for that type of person, but <laughs> she's amazing because <laughs> she brings together ancient knowledge and scientific knowledge, and she's fascinating. I, I, I'm going to provide a link, and I'm going to investigate that. Sounds exciting. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about the patterns. You use these on a regular basis still. You're still kind of exploring patterns. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, when we talk about mental health, and in my day job, we built a, 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 an app to help wellness and mental health for 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 physicians and nurses. Oh, and that's great. Like that. So very necessary. Exactly. And some of the terminology kind of weaves into maybe what I'm going to say, but are there patterns that you look for that you use as a matter of maintenance in keeping yourself well and, and, and ment- mentally kind of stable and happy versus those patterns that you may kind of lean on when things get challenging? Do, do you have that kind of separation? Do you think, oh, it's been such a hard week, I've got to draw this or I've got to challenge myself with this or I need a real simple pattern like do, do you ever think about it that way I don't yeah I don't I I think I just I think a lot of people in general are really drawn to circular repetitive forms like there's a pattern in the book called muscle that's based you mentioned it before it's based on a muscle shell and you know it just kind of begins with a very small closed u-shape like like a teardrop almost and then it starts to um move outwards and get bigger and bigger so it's it's all connected and that repetitive connected movement that just gets a little bit bigger a little bit bigger is very soothing um Mm. and i find that's very soothing uh repetitive circles i really love i suppose that might be true i'm going to get one piece i want to show you the mark making can definitely get a bit obsessive but I don't find it obsessive because of the way that I approach it. I'm doing it slowly and just taking it bit by bit. Mm-hmm. So that's all little circles. Oh, wow. Um, combined with... What a beautiful piece. Thank you. Combined with ink. So, and I'll provide... This is this is on your Instagram. I'm going to provide a link to this. Oh, so thank you. I can, can check it yeah, out. So, yeah, I think this piece took me like a month maybe. So it's just all different size circles with different size um, micron nibs, some little thicker, some little thinner. And that's, you know, because again, because my process is kind of open in that way, like it's fun to discover that, for example, when you use the really tiny nib and do really tiny circles, what the texture is like versus a bigger Mm -hmm. nib with a more open center to the circle. It's just, and then more overlapping in that one little area and what that does. So anyway, I, I suppose circles are soothing for me. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me, uh, I'm working on, well, I was sketching a little iguana and the, the oh, circles yes. varying sizes remind me of the skin of an iguana. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Are there patterns that you didn't include in the book? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot. Because, I mean, if you imagine, I've been doing this for two years and change and you know, I, I, not every single week, but most weeks I'm presenting a new pattern. So like every, let's say six months, I come up with a new group of patterns at one time. 
and then, you know, do all the background work to set that up. Blah, blah, blah. But yeah, so there's, you know, I, I took the favorites from up to that point. So there's tons more, both painted, drawn, painted and drawn. So there could be a volume two, a volume three potential here. <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> <have to> see. <laughs> and, and I love that you did a recent blog entry where you were camping and mm-hmm. I think you spotted some seaweed or some kind of oh, weed yeah. on a rock, and and you were able to translate that into a pattern. I think that's kind of exciting where people can take this tutorial with these wonderful examples and then translate that to, yes. as you mentioned earlier, people looking for patterns in the world around them and then being able to just draw them out yeah. in a way that is simple and and you know, adheres to process mm-hmm. and maybe it is a bit interpretive in how they see the mm-hmm. pattern versus others mm-hmm. and not being so, so insistent on it being realistic. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a whole section on that, on looking for inspiration in nature. And I give an example from uh, one of the fungi that I was really into a mushroom and I had somehow tuned into the backside and the pattern. I took a photo of it and then I blew it way up. So like you can see here and the, so some mushrooms have gills, which is what typically we think of like with a portobello or something where it's more linear. And then some have what's called teeth where they just kind of stand up and the shapes in those teeth on, I think it was a turkey tail mushroom actually. Uh, were incredible. They looked to me like swords and giraffes and all sorts of things. And so I have used that pattern in drawing. I've used it in paper cutting. So everyone can do that. That's the point. You can find whatever interests you and turn it into a pattern. Yeah. And if you've got access to a microscope, that could be some interesting things that maybe, uh, yeah. Totally. And even without a microscope or a loop, let's say, you know, there's plenty of patterns in bark, in leaves in, you know, the way that the teensy tiny lichens make little, you know, different colors and dots and things on rocks. There's, you know, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's fairly endless seed pods, you know, like here's a bit of bark. This was like some beautiful quote unquote weed that I found in that spot I was telling you about. So like there's this head with all these, I think, seeds on it. But then each seed is its own pattern too, right? So it's like you can take things, you know, whatever direction you want. And the beauty of a pattern is how forgiving it is. Because whenever you repeat something, every piece or every mark lends strength to the other and they tend to hang together. I mean, you have to do a little bit of work to create some level of consistency, but as long as you do that, then you have a pattern and patterns, all the individual marks lend each other strength and it tends to hang together. I think this book is brilliant. I think especially this time of year, if you're thinking about somebody who's creative or or has some time that would enjoy this, I mean, this would make a beautiful Christmas present as well. Thank you. uh, I think this book is... uh, it would be accessible to so many. And I agree, like, even myself as an artist, I'm looking at this book thinking, I'm going to try some of these exercises, because I think, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the milkweed one, because I've, I've drawn a milkweed before. But I kind of want to take it a step further, uh, in doing it kind of this approach to mm-hmm. it, I'd like to do it with maybe a dandelion as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dandelion seeds. And so yeah, uh, all of that could be kind of, uh, it's great warm ups too, frankly. 
yeah. especially when you're working with small bits because you can just like okay just let go of pressure and just kind of get yourself warmed up so small bits yes that leads directly into oh, my next question <laughs> <laughs> and that is you've got this inchy challenge oh yeah that runs from september 6th to the 16th correct and maybe you can talk about what this is this is so much fun honestly this is the thing that people in my community look forward to all year <laughs> they're always asking like when is the inchy challenge this year because it's always like a slightly <laughs> different date so I use the term inchy loosely. It's really truly a twinchy. It's two inches by two inches square of, um, in my case, watercolor paper. Uh, but the challenge is to do a piece of art that's, uh, you can make it whatever size you want, but the idea is to do something small. So two by two inches or smaller every day between September 6th and the 16th. And it can be anything at all. Right. And anything goes. The idea is that you are challenging yourself to show up and create something. And I have a written prompt that I send via email every single day. And then there's also some, you know, inspiring photos and things to think about. And then I also have a prep class that introduces the whole philosophy behind why we're working small and what the purpose of the challenge is and how to get ready and how to use the techniques that I'm teaching to propel your art practice moving forward, right? Because that's really the reason. The reason I'm doing it is because so many people have a hard time coming up with ideas and their judgment gets in the way. And yeah, although, you know, or they feel like they don't have time. And so this challenge hits a lot of those troubles. <laughs> so um, we pre-prep so that we're ready to go. So you've got, you know, 40 squares so that hopefully you'll do more than one a day. You don't have to, but um, mm -hmm. my hope is that people choose on certain days when there's more time to, you know, not just do the one bunny drawing, but you know, you do the bunny drawing and then you're curious about the mark making in the coat of the fur. And so you do that, or you do a bunny from a different angle or, you know, whatever it might be, or you do another one that has color and really seeing where that process of iteration gets you. And then there'll be other days where you really have five minutes and that is absolutely all you have. And so, you know, the prompt is, uh, you know, lichen, just to go back to that. And so, you know, you're looking at the lichen and I've got a whole process in the class about helping you come up with ideas if that's a challenge. And, you know, you come up with your idea and you let showing up be enough. Nice. Because that's that's half of it, right? That like, well, I could make art for five minutes, but you know, it's not gonna be great. And you know, the critic, chat, chat, chat. It's you know, we we just have to keep showing up and practicing. And it's amazing when you do that consistently, what sometimes will emerge in a small bit of time. I I love the idea that you're restricting it in some ways to such a small canvas. Because I think that there are other challenges like Inktober and others mm -hmm. where it it can be quite daunting. People get quite stressed because they get behind. Mm -hmm. But I, I really like this idea that it is shorter, that it is focused on a, something small, something relatively simple if you choose to. Yeah. Um, you could go spend more time on it. I remember doing, and you know, you talk about the bunny. I think that was before we started recording, but I'll provide a link to this the little bunny I had done yeah. in a coffee shop a few weeks ago. But people thought I was probably crazy because I was holding this tiny little piece of paper yeah. and a pencil in a coffee shop. And I was down just drawing this little tiny square and people were trying 
as they do when artists create in public, trying to get a look at what yeah. I was working and on. They can't. But because it's so <laughs> no, they can't. Like they, they would have to literally rest their chin on my shoulder because it was so small and I would had it in tight. That would be I, awkward. I wasn't trying. That would be really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> it would be. I I did have an older gentleman. And not that I'm not, but he was older than me, asked me what I was working on, and I showed oh, okay. him. Okay. So at least that was a better approach yeah, than, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet, but though. It's it's fun, and I think this is, like, I had seen another artist do this, and I immediately went and bought some hot press, um, a 640 GSM paper, so really heavy, mm-hmm. almost cardboard paper. Mm-hmm. And I cut it into a bunch of squares, and now I have those squares with me always. I actually put two in my wallet. Oh, that's um, a good because idea. I thought, you know, in case I'm somewhere, I can always find someone else's big pen if I need to, and I can just yeah. sketch something. Prick your so finger I, I think... and use your blood if you're really, really desperate. <laughs> There's always an opportunity. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, I think it's really great. And I think that it's the, the small size is very freeing. And they're also kind of cute and precious, <laughs> which is fun. Yes. It's different, you know. And I think the extremes are fun. People really like giant pieces and people like really tiny pieces. They're mm. evocative. And you can get little frames for this stuff oh, too if totally. you choose to. Yeah. And it, it builds on itself. Like I have a whole class called Big Art where it builds by creating these tiny pieces you build to a bigger piece. I'm going to walk you over. Um, so like this one was built with uh, or created from lots and lots and lots of I don't know, maybe thousands of little rice grains that I drew. Okay. And it started out just on, you know, these two by two squares. And I didn't plan to make this big thing initially. But as as I would start to put the squares together, I would see like, oh, you know, when I don't complete the square, that makes a really interesting pattern. You know, like a grouping of four, of six, or of nine, how big would you say this piece is That's in, in total 99 two by two inch squares i don't recall the actual measurement wow because that's and and for those of you listening <laughs> and not seeing uh there, there's a link in your you did post it to your instagram so i will provide a link to that as well that's a that's a beautiful piece thank you it's, um, obviously it has uh ink wash in there as well and then you know there's places where i've filled in between the race grains to give a sense of depth and but but that's the thing like working this way it's not planned and then you you have an openness you know i might not like one of the two by two squares that i make okay mm-hmm. no big deal <laughs> right but right. then i discover so much and then i can get so playful because it's all these little movable parts right you mm-hmm. sense the theme here with what i've been talking about like yes. whether it's the paper cutting or the books or you know with collaging and things but there's all these little uh movable pieces that make things very fun and playful and that kind of thing so yes so i love inchies because i think they just open up a whole other world of playfulness and um if it's okay to say folks in the u.s and in the uk i'm sorry not in canada um if they participate and they tag me amy miracle on um instagram and they use uh the draw yourself calm and mindful art studio hashtags they have a chance to win a copy of the book as long as they're over 18 that's awesome my apologies to the other countries 
<laughs> That's okay. <laughs> we we always have this challenge sometimes, I think, with uh, balancing all of this. So that's, it's absolutely okay. But I think, so if, if I'm in Canada and I'm doing this, I can still tag you. I can still use oh, the hashtag. It's yeah. an opportunity for us to, to follow each other and, and, and see what's going on. Yeah. yeah. And it really is yeah. fun. It's such a great time. Everybody really celebrates each other and is so encouraging and I think that's one of the best things about my community because I'm so process oriented. People have taken that lead of like, we're not here to like tell each other what to do or how to improve, or we just encourage each other and, you know, spur each other on. That's great. There's so much uh, timing with this, with your new book and with the Inchi Challenge. It's uh, it's perfect. <laughs> People are going to be busy after this. I hope so. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still going to ask you for homework. So there'll be a third thing. Yeah. <laughs> So I wanted to ask you as well about teaching because you do a, a bunch of courses, mm-hmm. some free, some paid. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe starting with, we can get into some of the examples and details of that. But why did you decide to teach? Let's see. I started teaching when I was still a therapist and still offering uh, individual art therapy in my community, and I on the side started offering an art journaling class just because I think it's, I love art journaling. It's an amazing uh, tool for expression and um, creativity. And so, you know, why did I do, I don't know. <laughs> it's just natural <laughs> for me. Um, I really like, I've always liked teaching and presenting. And I guess that the part of why this job sort of is my dream job that I couldn't have dreamt up it, you know, if we go way back to the first question you asked me and I Mm -hmm. loved performance, like I'm obviously (laughs) comfortable (laughs) being in front of people and, you know, being, well, in this case myself. Yeah. And when I did that locally, I advertised it online and people were asking me, can you offer it online? Cause I'm, let's say in Australia and I'd like to take it. And so little by little things just started to build. I had already been blogging, and so it just kept building and building. And eventually I saw that the mindful art studio business was totally valuable. And while I really loved being a therapist, I felt like I was able to, without doing art therapy, use art to help people find so much joy and meaning through art making. And I could reach such a wide audience. And so then I made the switch. I really love when artists and creatives give back through education and through teaching. I think that's that's fantastic. Mm. And you have so many courses. Are there? Do you want to highlight a couple of these or a few of them sure. that people may be interested well, in? Well, I already started talking to you about my class, Big Art, which is the one that builds on this idea of the two-by-two-inch squares. So there's 11 different projects. So I teach – we talked about the high-flow paints earlier, and I teach um, – a technique called smoky backgrounds that are these gorgeous, you know, they look like clouds or mist or, you know, and they're amazing. And so like, there's a big sky project where you build a sky out of these two by two inch squares. So it's not overwhelming. You can make, you know, my piece is quite large. It's like that. Um, I'm gesturing. I don't know how big that is. (laughs) Like two feet by three feet. Not quite that big, but yeah, like something like that. Yeah. Maybe it is. Anyway, uh, and then there's one on doing like color bursts and then some of the slow drawing over it. There's another, anyway, you know, there's a botanicals project. There's all different projects, but it's all based on the same idea where 
you know, I teach you a technique, you play with it on these little squares. And over time, you will have a number of them that you really like, and you will put them together. And then there's ones that play with a little bit like the rice where, you know, you start to play with what's coming off the edge of the two by two inch square. And then you start to play with, well, okay, the next square, I have this one over here and I start turning the puzzle pieces. Oh, this looks really interesting together with this. And so that's the beauty of it because you're not unlike with a larger piece where you're 15 hours into it and you're sweating because you have to do this one part that you're nervous about. You're just like, wow, what if I took this piece and did this and like, oh, I could make another piece that connects here. And then what about this? Or, you know, take all the pieces and shake them up in a box and throw them down on the table and see what happens. And there's something very cool and unexpected. So it really plays with that whole concept. And when people do the challenge, there's a coupon that goes along with it too. There's that. I have a class all about paper cutting, paper cut art journals, where I teach all the layering and, um, you know, like creating holes and screens with the paper cuts and, you know, building on those layers. That is super, super fun. And then, uh, like on a, uh, the other side of the spectrum, I have like that piece I showed you with the ink lines. That's a class called Inky Lines. And it's really very related to the slow drawing. It's about really tuning into yourself and the brush and the moment and seeing how tuning into that helps you create really beautiful forms. And then combining those forms with slow drawing in a larger uh, format than on the small ones that we typically do, like in the book. Another kind of direction that I go is um, making books. I love to bind my own journals, uh, the Coptic bound journals, where you can see the sewing on the sides and they open flat, which is really important for me because I do so much, not just sketching, but also uh, building these layered worlds in the journals. So for me, I need something that lays flat and, building the journal from start to finish is so satisfying. Uh, And somehow I feel less precious about it because I made it and I know I'm just going to make another and I I need to make another because I got to stay kind of uh, facile with it because it's um, it, it takes practice. And it was a technique that took me, there are great tutorials online, but there was always like a few questions that for me were unanswered in each one. And so it took me a long time of stringing them all together. So I feel pretty good about my class. And I've heard from a lot of people that it's like the clearest one they've ever seen because it's all laid out in the video very clearly from start to finish. And then I also have step-by-step in photos with words, step-by-step from start to finish um, I like to try to make things as simple as possible. <laughs> yeah, and I've looked at, like, when you subscribe to the Inchi Challenge, you get access to videos where you talk about that as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I think they're wonderfully produced. I'm, you know, I, you've got a mix of free and, and paid classes. And, you know, I think that's a great way for people to experience you as a teacher and then go into the paid ones if they choose to. And right. you've got so much diversity in that. I think it's, I think it's great. Thank you. There's no excellent opportunities for people to interact with you both through your book and through these videos on your site. It's brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. And of course I have slow drawing uh, classes up there too. When I, after I do the free version, then after a certain period of time, they go up in the shop for like a, a low affordable price. Nice. So I try to make things in a range for people. 
that's it's good. Uh, like it, it's unfortunate that some teachers don't have free opportunities for people to see what individuals like are like as a teacher mm. because you may be that you're really enthusiastic about the content, but the teaching may not work with you individually, and it's not. Oh, it's so a individual. Either, but it's so yeah. individual. It really is about finding a teacher who feels right to you. So I would right. really say too, like if if folks are feeling like, oh, I tried drawing or I tried this or I tried that and just didn't feel right. Try a different teacher. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I've been turned off by a few things. And then I realized later on that, well, watercolor was one of them, but I think it's more watercolor. It took me like five tries, I think, Mm. to finally figure out watercolor. Mm -hmm. Most of the time it was like, this is a mess. I don't know how I'm going to control this stuff. (laughs) Stop going over there. I need you to stay over here. It's just too much. Um, And then trying to use white watercolor instead of white gouache and not realizing I had to protect the white. Anyways, it was just, I'm I'm comfortable now with watercolor, but it took me a long time. And that wasn't really, I mean, maybe if I took a class, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. I just figured I could figure it out, and I did eventually. But mm-hmm. it was it was longer than it needed to be. Right, Sharon Stevens, who's also in Can. No, she's in the UK. Maybe um, she has fabulous tutorials. She has some free tutorials that I've done on. Hmm, I forget what um, Creative Bug, maybe or no Skillshare, one of those. But. Um, okay her her tutorials are really amazing i love the way she breaks things down i'll provide a link to her yeah and uh, and her work and she has a new Um, book out too about doing watercolor projects and that i can't recall the name of but maybe you'll link to that too awesome i'm gonna do uh i'm starting my youtube journey so i'm one of the videos i'm gonna do is on on excuse me on doing watercolor so oh cool we'll see how yeah we'll see how that turns out as well (laughs) so before i get into the homework i wanted to ask you and, and, you know, you're a trained art therapist, so maybe this is an unfair question, but I'm wondering what's the best advice you've ever received with regard to creativity or, or art? Yeah, it's a little obvious based on what we've been speaking about is focus on the process. I, that might be not what you're hoping for, given that I've already said that 3,000 times, but it's, <laughs> that it is that is the core of what I find so freeing and helpful and helps me find joy. And, um, I think from the outside, it might seem a little Pollyanna or something, but I really a hundred percent have seen in my own art, how much focusing deeply on process has, I mean, so much faster progress than, than when I'm, you know, judging and pushing and all of that. I'm glad you brought that up again. I, I don't think you can bring it up too many times because I think <laughs> <laughs> we get caught up and we end up chasing our own tail and uh, not realizing that, you know, it is a process and we need to to uh, to follow it and just take it right to the end. So I always get to this point where I want, the, I mean, you know, people could buy your book or they could, <laughs> they could take your courses either free or paid mm-hmm. or they could do the Inchi Challenge. Mm-hmm. But let's talk another one, and that is homework. Sure. And so I'm wondering what you would recommend as homework to the listener. Mm. Well, ties in with what we've been talking about. So um, my invitation, because I prefer invitations, because then it leaves lots of space for people to be open to what comes to them. So Mm. my invitation is if folks want to go back to what we were talking about, go out into a natural space somewhere near you and look for 
a pattern. Go on a little walk and see what kind of patterns you see. Take maybe a little sketchbook with you or even just your phone, which I know you have with you. (laughs) (laughs) And take some little sketches and photographs and look for a pattern that you could do what I do, where you take a pattern and you boil it down to something simple enough that it's going to be a pattern, not a full drawing, right? And see where it might take you. I think that's really good homework. And I think people being mindful that, you know, maybe they don't always have to focus on the macro or sorry, the, it depends how you look at it. I know. But, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's not that you have to focus on the, um, the gills of a mushroom. Right. Or a spider web, but it could be the tree line, correct? Because of the nature of the, of the types that there may be a bunch of poplar trees mm-hmm. or pine. That there's different mm-hmm. scales here, mm-hmm. right? A loose a outline of of you know a flower. It could be uh, you know a number of leaves on a stem. It could be so many different things. Yes, it doesn't need to be teeny tiny. It can be something much larger. That's a great reminder. Yeah, I think uh, I, I I see them all the time, and I I I never really think to do what you do mm-hmm. with them. So now I have that in my in my quiver that I can yeah. <laughs> that I can lean on as an opportunity to be able to take these patterns. And I mean, down. thinking about what you just said, like you could go really large scale and you know take down tracings in essence in a way of the cloud forms. And then explore overlapping those cloud forms in a line drawing and see where that brings you and, you know, mix and match that 3,000 different ways and lots of what if questions. What if I did this? Right. I mean, I'm thinking of your paper cutting now where maybe as you flip the pages, more clouds disappear to reveal yeah, something right. like that could be That'd kind be of very fun cool. too, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to dig out some tools here and cut up my sketchbooks. <laughs> I hope you do. It's uh, really fun. Yeah, I'm going to. Um, as I say, I've got accordion uh, two coming today, and I'm going to. Uh, uh, I'll have to think about what I do with them. But I do have too many sketchbooks, so I yeah. do have some available. You can see them above me here. Oh right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and most of them have one or two things, and then I go on to the next type of paper. Yeah. But, um, well, do yeah. do share whether just email me or share it online and tag me so I see it. I will for sure. So before I let you go, I want people to be able to find you. So maybe you can share different ways that Mm -hmm. people can find you and where you're active online. Sure. Um, My website is mindfulartstudio.com. And then I'm at Amy Maracle, which is A-M-Y-M-A-R-I-C-L-E on Instagram. And then I'm uh, Mindful Art Studio at Facebook. I'm, I have some YouTube up there as well. But those are my, my main spots. That's awesome. Well, I'll provide links to all of your connections online. So Thank people you can so go much. to the show notes and find you Thank that you. way. And I'll include links to everything we spoke about, all the tools, all the other artists. Oh my God, there's so much. <laughs> You're very detail-oriented. Listeners are lucky. <laughs> well, I think, you know, part of this, like when we talk to artists, even I did a live draw last night with a bunch of other artists. I didn't host it, but I was an attendee. And everyone's talking about what, what tools are you using. Yeah. Oh, what's that? Yeah. What's that sketchbook? It That's the first thing I think when you get artists together and they yeah. have their tools. It's like, what pencil, what ink is that? And yeah. so on and so forth, right? So I think it's fun. Our toys. And uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. 
So Amy, I wanted to thank you so much for this experience. I'm so I'm so excited about pursuing some of these things now oh, and I'm wound up and I hope the listener is as well in uh, pursuing some of this. Yeah. And I hope some folks join us for the entry challenge. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that and I'm looking forward to your book launch. I hope you have a great successful uh, book launch. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you once again for your time. This has been fantastic. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and um, I hope to see more of your work online. Likewise. Thanks so much, okay. Mike. I appreciate it. Thanks, Amy. Have a good day. You too. Show notes, including links to everything Amy and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 84. If you enjoyed the show, please follow, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. 